Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Counters that... Uh, people have had with Jesus, particularly in Luke's gospel. So if you were here last week, you'd have been hearing Lynn, uh, Lynn Swart. She was speaking to us uh, about the story of Zacchaeus uh, and brought a great message in regards to that and how we saw hope in that story. And then I'm continuing with this with a different story that we'll get into uh, in just a while. But I wanted to start by asking you guys a question. If you've ever heard of the term gate crash, you ever heard of that term? Yeah? Have you ever done that before? Yeah? Few smiles. Gate crash. So for those of you who don't know, gate crashing, the, the dictionary term, um, understanding of it is to enter a party or a gathering without an invitation or a ticket. So I guess if you've all come here without invitations or tickets, then you've effectively gate crashed the service. But that's okay in this place. As many people can gate crash church as they want to. This is somewhere that everybody is welcome. But um, I was trying to think back, like, is there a particular moment in my life where I've gate-crashed a party or a gathering? And I know that there are, but there's not, like, one particular time. I must have done it that many times where I've just rocked up at things that I probably shouldn't have been at. Um, usually, uh, from memory, it's my, I've got two older sisters... And so they're obviously socialising with their friends that are their age. And me, obviously, being the younger brother, wanted to hang out with older people and be, you know, oh, I can come and hang out with you. And it'd usually be that scenario that they would be hanging out and then I would just rock up um, and enter the room and they would quite quickly kick me out and tell me where to go. Um, But gate crashing, why am I talking about gate crashing? Well, because tonight we're, we're looking at a story in the Bible where gate crashing happens. This happens, and uh, this may be the first ever gate crash, Uh, maybe not, but it happens, and it's the most unlikely of people turn up in um, what in some ways is quite a a common, but as we're going to see, quite an unusual event that we're going to read. So let's open our Bibles at Luke 7, um, starting at verse 36. And I'm just going to, we're going to go through the story. Uh, The words should hopefully come up on the screen. And we're just going to unpick it as we go, really. So starting at verse 36, it says this. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, you could just read that and be, just skim over it, couldn't you? All right, great. Jesus was invited for a meal, and he, he, he went, and they reclined at a table. What's, what's odd about that? What's different about that? But I was like, there are so many questions in this one verse. First of all, the Pharisee, who we find out later in the story to be called Simon. These are people that were out, they're out to get Jesus, they're out to, to make him trip up. They're trying to catch him out. We read earlier on, like they're, they're plotting, they're scheming against him. This isn't Jesus' mate who's like, come and have food at mine tonight. This is someone who is, a, is opposing him, is challenging him on what he's been saying. Why is a Pharisee inviting Jesus to his house for tea? Is it because he wants to, to trip him up in his own home? Is it because... Um, He's got the home advantage, you know, he, can, he knows the, the sort of the ins and outs and he can, he can play the, the rules by his rules. Is it um, to try and catch him off guard? Is it to show off? 
Is it because, you know, Jesus is this talks about man, people are hearing about where he's going, and he's like, do you know what, if I invite him to my house, then actually that looks good on me, because I've got this celebrity, effectively, coming to my house, and I get to host him. Is it, is it because of that? Maybe is it because, actually, he was thinking, do you know what, what Jesus is saying is actually true? And maybe I want to find out a little bit more. Maybe I want to believe. Maybe, maybe I do believe and I just want to, I want to understand that. Like all of these questions, just in those first, that first verse, this Pharisee invites Jesus. And then Jesus accepts. He accepts. Why does he accept? If he knows that these guys have been out to get him. It's like if you have people who, who like aren't, haven't got your best intentions at heart, you try and keep them at arm's length, don't you? I know they say keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And I guess this in some ways is that. It's like, why does Jesus accept to go and do this? Does he, does he know what's going to happen? Does he know how the evening's going to plan out and, and therefore he's happy with the invite? Is he just being polite? Because Jesus is perfection. He's going to be polite to him. Why does he accept it? 37, verse 37, it says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I've got a load more questions. <laughs> Have you? You've not got questions? It's like, what is going on here? I just had to stop. Let's understand what is happening. So we've got this guy called Simon, a Pharisee, right, who, who on the whole, we're understanding Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus out. They're trying to trip him up. He's invited him to his house for dinner, and Jesus accepts, and we understand that he is now attended. Now, if that isn't random enough for a story, we see that there's this notoriously sinful woman. So it's suggesting that people know that she's a sinner. People know that she's done wrong in her life. This isn't something that's maybe kept inside and on the face of it they look good, but it's there for all to see. And she hears that Jesus is dining at this guy's house. How does she know about that? Is that because it was the talk of the town? Is that because she was, just happened to, to stroll by and she saw it happening? How, do, how does she find out that um, Jesus is here? You know, it's suggested that this, this woman was, was a prostitute. Was she sleeping with, one of, with the Pharisee? I don't know. Just putting it out there. How, you can take it or leave it. I don't know. But how does she know? If she's a notoriously sinful woman, she's not going to be in like in all the. She's not going to be in their circles, is she? So how does she find out that this happens? And then she takes an expensive jar of perfume. Firstly, how has she got this expensive jar, jar of perfume? Has she stolen it? Is it hers? And then she takes it with her. Why does she take it with her? Does she know that she's going to need it? Like this is really random. It's like I don't go to my friend's house and take a bottle of perfume. I might take a bottle of wine. I don't take a bottle of perfume. Did she know who Jesus was before this evening that we read about? So in this house with the 
let's understand a little bit about the, the scene that we that is set here. So Jesus has been invited and he's reclining at this table. Now, if it's it's a different sort of makeup to what our current housing situation is like. So this was in some ways quite common for a guest to be invited to someone's house for tea and for dinner and people would effectively be invited to it. Uh, they'd often have maybe courtyards that they would sit in and the tables would be very low down. They wouldn't sit on chairs like we do now but they would, they would effectively recline at the table um, low to the floor. And the, as I said, this was sort of open to the public so people could come in. Like The invited guests would all sit around the table and then if you weren't an invited guest but you wanted to come and hear the guest, they, you wanted to hear the conversation, then you were welcomed in as well. So that wasn't an uncommon thing. And so this, this woman, we see, takes that opportunity. I'm going to get in there too, and I'm going to see what happens, and I'm going to check it out. Is that not bold? Is that not brave? This notoriously sinful woman, like, she knows, I feel that like she knows what she's getting herself into. She knows the reputation that she has within this town, and yet she still chooses to step into that place because she was an outcast, a reject. She was an outsider to these people. She, she didn't hang out with them. They weren't her friends. She wasn't the sort of person that you would expect to see at this meal. Yet we see that she comes here and she is bold and she is brave. I don't know if you've ever walked into... Um, either a room or walked into a venue and immediately felt you're out of place. You're like sticking out like a sore thumb and you're like, what am I doing here? I remember I, um, I took a year out after, after school and I lived over in Northern Ireland for 10 months and being English, living in Northern Ireland um, wasn't the greatest start. Um, and I was living in a town that, um, if you know Northern Ireland, was uh, is known to be part of uh, where a lot of the troubles happened. It wasn't in Belfast, but it was just outside. And there's a big, uh, there's a big sort of Catholic and Protestant divide in that town. And I remember in my one of my first few weeks, uh, I was I was living in a house that was pretty dingy, um, didn't have TV or anything like that, and I wanted to go and watch the football. So uh, I'd walk into this pub, and I remember I literally opened the doors with my friend, and my friend was Northern Irish, but I walked in. Straight away, I was like, nah. Straight back out and into another pub because it was full of, I just felt like completely out of place. It was, it was a really Catholic, that was a Catholic pub, and they knew that they could tell that I sensed that I was English. I don't even think I said anything, but they could sense something on me. I got all the stares, and I was like, should we go find another one? And we went and found a different pub. It was like, she, this woman was out of place. I feel like it would have been like that. You know, like people looking as she comes in, it's like, who is this? Who is this? As she's making her way through. Who is this in this house? And yet rather sticking to the shadows, which in some ways I think if I was her, that's what I would have done. If I was going and like wanted to hear what Jesus was saying, I'd have been like, okay, I can, I can just hide at the back. No one's going to see me here. But she doesn't do that. She presents herself for all to see. It's like, I'm not hiding. She goes... And she starts washing his feet. She starts weeping at, uh, over his feet. It talks in Luke, uh, Luke 8 about um, your lamp on a stand. This is, like, this is it. 
It's like putting a lamp on a stand. You don't hide it under a bowl. Her passion for Jesus is shown for all to see. It says her tears, um, she cried and her tears wet his feet. Like that's a lot of tears, is it not? Like, that is a lot of tears. If, if I'm taking that literally, she is bawling her eyes out here. And she uses her hair to wipe his feet. Now, uh, people suggest that like, that's a, sed- a seductive um, gesture to like, wipe, use your hair. Like, that was a woman's pride and joy in, in that sense. It was, um, could be used as quite a, uh, yeah, in, in that sort of way. But she uses her hair to wipe his feet. She kisses his feet, pouring perfume on them. I know, if you speak to my wife, she would never do that to my feet. <laughs> you wouldn't do that to my feet either. But I think even to their feet, they walked around in sandals all day, dirty, dirty feet, yet she's there, she's weeping over them, she's kissing them, she's pouring perfume over them. Why does she do that? Why does she risk drawing attention to herself? Why is she so emotional? Why, she, why do we only find out that she comes in and she's crying straight away? I'm hoping that as we, as we read on, we're going to find some answers to these questions. <laughs> I'm not just giving you all these questions. You can go away and do your homework, but you can do that. Go and read it for yourself and see what you think. See how God shows you. Verse, nine, it's, uh, verse 39, it says this, When the Pharisees who had invited him saw, saw this, he thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Do you notice what it says about Simon? What it says about him? How he thought? He thought to himself. So this isn't something that he's vocalised, that he said verbally that everyone can hear. This is something that's going on inside his head. Does he know does he really know? I thought this guy was a prophet. You see, if, if he was a prophet, then he would have known. He would have known who this woman was. And he's saying to himself, if he was this, surely he knows who is touching him. And it's really interesting, um, just doing some reading around this and uh, the, the use of this way of describing someone's inner thoughts um, and the way that Luke uses it, a way that the Hebrew Bible often uses this, is that an inner speech uh, depicts the thoughts of someone wicked. I thought that was really interesting. It says this in Deuteronomy, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Uh, sorry, that's in Psalm 14. And then in Deuteronomy it says, while the one who turns away from God blesses himself in his heart. You see, this is what Simon is just thinking inside. It's almost like he's not bold enough to say it out loud, but I'll just think it. I'll just think that he's not Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not bold enough to confront him uh, to, say, to say, like, you're not actually who you say you are. In verse 40, Jesus says this. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. That's about 20 months worth of wage um, for us. Uh, And the other 50, that's about two months. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now with which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. You see, we see here actually that um, a fulfillment of prophecy is, is almost given in this because it says in Luke 2.35 that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You see, Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. 
He knows that and he's revealing it. That's what it says in, in Luke 2, that Jesus is going to do that. He's going to reveal the thoughts that are in your hearts. And when Jesus says, it's really, I find it amazing, like when Jesus says, I have something to say to you, is it like due to Simon's inability to speak, Jesus is almost counteracting that to say, do you know what, I'm going to say it for you. I'm going to speak out because I know the truth. I am the truth, and I know what you're thinking, and I'm going to get it out there for all to see. He's almost like uh, contrasting his own willingness to, to speak and to dialogue against Simon's failure to do that. So let's take a look at what uh, Jesus actually says to him. We'll go through this. You see, he tells a story of two people who owe money. He's telling a story. So one person owes a lot of money. 500 denier, 20 months worth of wages. That's a lot of money. If, you, uh, if you're earning money at the moment and you think, okay, what do I earn in one month times it by 20, that's how much this person owes. Another person owes a much smaller amount, two months worth. See, Jesus here, for me, is talking about Simon and the, and the woman. One owes a lot and one owes a little. And what I love about this I don't know if you caught it, but what does he say in terms of them being able to pay back? Neither could pay the debt. It doesn't matter how much of debt there was, neither of them could pay it. That was the fact that he gave. Neither could pay the debt. Do we know tonight that none of us can pay the debt? None of us can pay the debt of our sins. There's only one man who can do that for us. And his name is Jesus. We've been singing and we've been worshipping him tonight. None of us can pay. These people that Jesus talks about, this story, no one could pay. It says in Ephesians 2, you see that God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for that, it says. It is a gift from God. You see, God gives us the gift of grace. And it's through that in which we are saved. And both are forgiven. Both are made debt free, effectively. That's what it is. Both are forgiven. I was looking up about the, the meaning of that word. It's like, um, they're, uh, oh, what's the word? It's like, it's more than just like forgiven. It was like abundance almost. It's like there's a, there's a blessing there. They were, they were made debt free. They were forgiven. And Jesus asked, now, which of them will love him more? He asked that to Simon. Which of these are going to love him more? Isn't that interesting as well that he says, which are going to love him? Like, love, that's a strong emotion. Which are going to love him? See, Jesus died for us. And we love him. We love him for that. And I think... I'm not disrespecting uh, Simon here and his intelligence, but it was a pretty easy question, wasn't it? Yeah? Which one is going to be more grateful here for the, uh, for the, for the releasing of these, these debts, to, to making them debt-free? Of course it's the one who has the bigger debt, and Simon answers correctly, and as I've already said, I think we, we could all answer that if we were all asked that question. We'd all assume that for sure. But then Jesus turns to the woman. We see this in verse 44. He turns towards the woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? What's really interesting in Luke is that uh, Luke, uh, Luke writes about five different encounters that Jesus has with women. And like, that, was, that was a big thing in those days. 
Like women in that culture were seen as second-class citizens. You know, it was a big deal, the fact that Jesus dealt with women, that he had conversations with women. And I love how, how Luke shows the love and the compassion that Jesus has for women in his time. That Jesus has for the people who are so-called second-class citizens, that are maybe the outcasts, the rejects, the one that society has forgotten about or trodden on. You know, we see that Jesus makes an effort to step over that boundary and reach out to that person and big up all the women here in the room tonight. Come on. And of course, Simon sees her physically, doesn't he? He's like, of course I see that woman. But I don't think that's what Jesus is implying. You see, Simon doesn't see her the way that Jesus sees her. See, Simon doesn't give this woman any value, does he? He doesn't give her any respect. He doesn't give her any consideration in that fact. He's just thinking, why is this woman doing what she's doing? Like if, it's almost like if that was happening to me, I would have told her to get lost. Simon doesn't really see this woman, not the way Jesus does. But when Jesus is saying this, he's getting to the heart of Simon. He's speaking right to his heart, to his attitude, to his, in some ways, his beliefs. He's getting to the core of him because he says this. He says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. I feel like this is almost like um, Simon's got to swallow some humble pie here. He's got to be like, oh my gosh, he knew what I was thinking. How did he do that? See, Jesus exposes these like three common courtesies that happened all the time. And it's not like Simon should have forgotten what these were. He was like a Pharisee. He was someone who wanted to, he lived his life by the letter of the law. These were things that he would have done day in, day out, whenever there was a guest. Why was it different when Jesus came? He should have known to have done this. I don't think that Simon just forgot to do it. I think it was probably due to the fact that Simon wanted to either like catch him out or just had a lack of respect for who Jesus was, that he didn't perform these rituals. Because Jesus was the guest of honour. He was the guest of honour. Not even welcoming him with a kiss, no anointing, nothing. It's almost like a, one of those really awkward moments if you've ever been in one of those, sort of you're in a collective group and suddenly someone like pipes up about something and you just think, oh wow, this has got awkward very quickly. Do you all know what that is? That's an awkward turtle apparently. Or <laughs> well, sometimes we do this, which is just an awkward balloon going up. It's like you're stood in a room and like some conversation's gone down that you're just thinking, get me out of here. So I feel like this is what's happening. All the other guests in, like, who are reclining around the table and watching this as Jesus is now conversing with Simon are thinking, oh my goodness, get me out of here, sort of thing. This is awkward for him. That this woman, who is this woman? 
She does such a loving act towards Jesus. She shows such devotion to him, such love towards him. She's so willing to step out of her comfort zone to go and bless him, to anoint him, to to wash his feet in a house where she knew she would be seen as the outcast. See, I want to make a, a suggestion that this woman had previously met Jesus, that this wasn't the first time that she'd encountered the living God. Why do I suggest that? Because have, when you encounter the living God, you know who he is. And the response of that is an outward pouring of love and devotion to him. You see, if she knew who he was and she found out that he was there, her reaction is going to be, I've got to go. I've got to go and I've got to get my jar of perfume. Whether he's been welcomed properly or not, I'm going to go and I'm going to show that I love this man because he's loved me. You know, if she's already met him, then there's already been that encounter. She's already seen, actually, the, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. She's seen that she has a hope because of him. And when she comes into this place where most people would never dream that she would end up, she can boldly stand out and pour some devotion and love and care onto Jesus. She's been touched by the King of Kings, not just physically there's a touch, but inside, internally, her heart has been transformed. Her life has been changed. When she once was uh, this isolated, removed person that would be kept at arm's length from the religious elite, she now finds acceptance. She finds acceptance in Jesus. And we see time and time again, don't we, in the Bible, how these sorts of people, it's the same, it's the same story, it's the same result. They find acceptance in Jesus. They find that Jesus steps over that line, across the boundary, out of social norms. Because he loves them. Because he loves you. Are you hearing that tonight? That he loves you. That he will step across as many boundaries as he needs to for you to know that he loves you. I feel like this woman, she'd met him, she'd accepted that and that had transformed her life. You see, when we say yes to Jesus, when we know who he is for ourselves, that changes who we are. That's the power of Christ that changes who we are. It means that we can walk into any situation with a hope. Any situation with a hope. She was compelled, compelled to act. I wonder, have you ever been moved into action because of the love of Christ that he's poured out on you? Even this week, finding out the worst news possible for loved ones in our church family. It's like, because I know Jesus and because I know that they know Jesus, there's like a compelling of like, oh, it does something in here. When you hear stuff, I don't think everyone gets that. If they don't know Jesus, I don't, feel like, I don't feel like they feel that at times. Are you ever compelled to move because of the love of Christ that's been poured out on you and that you get to then pour out onto others? And then Jesus says, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love uh, has shown. See, this is Jesus claiming to be God. 
The Pharisees are like, only God forgives sins. Who is this man who's now saying that her sins are forgiven? Are you, like, are you really claiming yourself to be God? It's amazing. I, just spending time in this story has just opened my eyes to the love that Jesus has for me. And I just encourage you all to, to go away and reread it and just experience the love that Jesus has for you. And what's beautiful here is it's not because she's done these actions. Let's not mistake this for the fact that because she's, she's come with perfume and the fact that she's washed his feet, that's not why he forgives her sins. He forgives her sins because of her faith, because she has faith in him. She has belief in him. And she was forgiven. As I said before, it's a gift from God. Faith is a gift. It's not something that's acquired by us, but we are given this ability to have faith in him. And all of us sat in this room, all of us in that room, apart from one man, has something in common with that woman. We all do. We all have something in common with that woman. Even Simon had something in common with that woman. He probably wouldn't want you to say that to him. But he did. Everyone had something in common because we're all sinners. We're all the sinful woman or man. And I, for me, Simon's biggest failure wasn't that, um, wasn't that he didn't do the ritual stuff, that he didn't honour Jesus in that way. It was that he didn't realise who Jesus was. He didn't allow his heart and his mind to, to be open to the reality of who Jesus actually was, that he was the son of God, who had the ability to forgive sins, who had the ability to change life, to give eternal life. I think that's where Simon's biggest failure was. Because he was in debt just as much as the woman, was he not? We go back to the story, 550, they're both in debt. You know, 50, if we talk it in pounds, 500 pounds, 50 pounds, 50 pounds to someone might be a lot of money. And that's a big debt to pay. It's still a debt, even if it's a small one, it's still a debt. He's still in debt and he couldn't pay it back. When I was reading this and, and thinking of this and just seeing the forgiveness that Jesus has on this woman, I was reminded of, uh, of a story of a lady who we'll watch a short video of in a moment. Um, and the fact that Jesus has forgiven me enables me to forgive somebody else. You know, that's, that's the, the flow of what happens. Because I know that I'm forgiven, because I know that I'm that sinful woman, that I can't repay my debt. And actually it's when, it's, when I get into that understanding that I can't do it. Like the acceptance and the awe is just magnified that Jesus would, would do what he did, that he would die on a cross for me. And it reminded me of this story of um, a woman called Corrie Ten Boom. And I'd love for us just to watch this short video. It's only a couple minutes long. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. What a, 
an example of forgiveness. What's amazing, Jesus finishes this conversation. He says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table among themselves say, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And then Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that. Go in peace. That's, that means salvation. That means security. That means safety. That means prosperity. Go in peace. That's the gospel. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can I invite the band up, please? That'd be great. In terms of responding to tonight's message, or I felt that there's maybe three, three sort of responses in a way. The first one being that you may have never said yes to Jesus before. You may have never experienced his love and his forgiveness. And I always want to give an opportunity for someone, if, if that's you tonight and you're feeling like, do you know what I want? I feel like that outcast person. I feel like I've not experienced that love of Jesus and I want that. I want the forgiveness. I want to accept him into my life. Then I want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. I also feel like there's maybe some of us out there who we've, we've said yes to Jesus. We know him. We love him. But sometimes our our day-to-day life isn't like this woman. See, when, when we're changed and transformed by Jesus, our whole lives should be changed and transformed. Our whole lives should be a devotion to him, an outpouring of love to him. And maybe that's the challenge for us. Where in my life do I need to be more devoted to what Jesus has done for me? And then the third is, is actually looking at Simon because the offer was there for him as well I believe if he wanted it but there was something that stopped him from experiencing Jesus' love and forgiveness and that was like his pride he thought he was right before God he thought it's, you know, I keep the law I'm okay but he failed to see that he himself was also a sinner and that he too needed forgiveness. And maybe there's something in our lives, we may, have said, we may be a follower of Jesus and said yes to him, but maybe there's something that's stopping us from getting closer that we just need to lay down and say, I need forgiveness for this. Forgive me for it. Because it's in that place that we draw closer and we have a hope because we know that there is forgiveness on offer. So can I encourage us all to stand? And just as the, the music starts to play, let's maybe just close our eyes. and Let's just take a moment for all of this, what's been said, to just sink in a little bit. What's God saying to you tonight?
what I love about this woman is that you can see the impact Jesus has on her life. She's radically changed and transformed. And if you've not experienced that in your own life, the transformation that Jesus brings, I want to give you a chance to to do that now. And I'd ask you to be brave enough to just raise your hand. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if that's for the first time, maybe you've never allowed, allowed him in. Maybe you think, do you know what? I'm, why would he even want to love me? He doesn't, all the bad things that I've maybe done in my life. Maybe feeling I'm like that woman. I wouldn't be bold enough to go and do that. If you want to say yes to him, I encourage you. As we enter into a final time of worship, why don't you just lay it all out? Invite him in. something that's maybe in the way something that you need to bring to the cross then I want to encourage you through this time of worship either come down the front I'd be more than happy to pray with you or if you've come with someone who you trust and who you love you don't need to disclose the details but I'm sure that they'd be up for praying with you as well and just take this time to, to come before him Know that you're forgiven. Know that you're loved. Know that everything that Jesus went through on that cross was for you. Know that the situations that you're facing, you can face because of him. Because he's forgiven you, because he's loved you because he's there with you. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.